So my wife and I have a friend who's, uh, she used to live in Brookings, and she was moving from Brookings to Eugene back in April. So we were over there, and she's agnostic, so she doesn't know. She's not, you know, a follower of Jesus. So it was like the last time I was going to see her before she moved to Eugene. So I'm trying to talk to her. We're kind of doing some stuff. So I'm trying to talk to her. She's like 65 years old. I'm trying to just share with her and trying to get to the gospel and get to Jesus. When during this conversation, all of a sudden she said, well, what do you tell your congregation to do? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She said, well, what are you telling them to do because of the end of the world? And I'm like, what? Like, are you talking tribulations? Are you talking book of Revelation? Are you talking Romans chapter six, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, death and war and famine and pestilence? Are you talking Revelation nine, demons coming out of the abyss? Are you talking Revelation 12, the dragon with a river of venom that tries to kill the woman with the child? Are you talking about chapter 17 and 18, the fall of Babylon, the whore? And she said, what? (laughs) She said, no, I'm talking about the end of the world in five to eight years because of climate change. So it was my turn, what? (laughs) AOC said we had 12 years. (laughs) And for the next, and my wife was kind of in and out of this conversation, for the next five to eight minutes, I listened to this 65-year-old lady who was full of anxiety about the end of the world. And it broke my heart. Like living with this weight, it's, got, it's all gonna end. Like she was dead set, it's all gonna end in five to eight years, that's all we got. Wow, okay. Anxiety, but anxiety isn't just an adult problem. Do you know that? So um, here's a graph of what's happening right now with kids. So I don't know if you notice like where the bend is and all these. Guess what was invented about that time? This little thing that everybody has in their pocket. Anxiety, 61% increase in girls. Boys, 77. Depression, 100 and almost 40% for girls. Like just, this is 11 to 15 year olds just skyrocketing rates. It's just got worse. This doesn't even include COVID now, right? So this is old. It's just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And when I think about like anxiety, I'm 51. Re- growing up, I don't remember the word anxiety. Like I, I never heard it. I didn't have anyone that, that had anxiety. Maybe it's because it wasn't defined for us. It could have been that we were just too busy like riding our bikes without helmets and getting concussions and forgetting like whatever was happening. So we didn't even remember Maybe we were too busy getting bullied because when I was young, it was legal to get bullied. In fact, I think our gym teacher actually encouraged it. Yeah, bully that kid. Yeah. So just a different world, right? But today, it's huge. Anxiety is huge. We have medications now that are targeted just for anxiety. Xanax, Ativan, 
and clonopin. But here's the thing with those things. They're not like an antibiotic that you take it and it cures the disease. All those medications, all they do is sedate your amygdala. All they do is just make you so you don't respond the way you normally would respond. That's all they're doing. And I almost, this morning, because of what's happening in our world, I almost changed my message. I almost talked about evil and just suffering and difficulty. But then I thought, there's actually no better message for us. Because when we see these events in the world, what do they do to us? They make us full of anxiety. They give us anxiousness. That's what they do. Now, I wasn't aware of it at 15, 18, but here's what's amazing to me. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, knew about anxiety. So we're in a series, I'm, I call it Gospel of the Kingdom. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the day Jesus talked about everything. And one of the subjects he's gonna cover now is anxiety. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. Matthew chapter five, excuse me, Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Listen to Jesus, what he says about anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life, his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus, do not be anxious. Some translations translate it, do not worry. Some say, take no thought. So is Jesus a don't worry, be happy preacher? Is that what he's doing right here? What's the idea here? Well, I went through the Bible and I went through it and I made a list of biblical worries 
for you and I and just listed them out. So if you want to worry, here is the biblical list of worry. That's it right there. Anyone fail that? That Christians, we get an A plus in worry. We worry about jobs and money, marriage, getting married, biological clock is ticking, will I have kids? What will my kids do? Will my kids grow up in a crazy world? What's happening with our society? What's happening with politics? What's happening with inflation, right? What's happening with health? What's that lump on my body? What's that mole? What's that lesion? What is that? You watch some documentary on health. You think maybe I have that. You Google it. I do have it. I'm dead, right? Like we worry. You come to church. Am I going to find my seat? I don't like sitting in the middle. I want an aisle seat. I hope no one takes my seat. I want to sit over there. Do I have to greet somebody? I don't want to shake his hand. I'm not sure where it's been. All right? Jesus is talking about a subject no one escapes from. And he begins with this word, therefore. What kind of a word is therefore? It's a conjunctive Adverb. English, bridge word. I've said something before. Because of what I've said now, here's how you're to live. That's what therefore is. What did Jesus just talk about? Do not store up treasures for yourself. He's talking about money. He says, you cannot serve God in money. It's not, it's difficult. Hey, you might, hard balancing this. He just says, you can't. It's one or the other. What is Jesus saying? What's there for? It's his whole sermon. Remember who you are. Remember who your heavenly father is. Remember who you serve. Remember you are a citizen of heaven. Remember that. That's what he's saying. And Jesus says, you take these thoughts about your life. What is your life? A good thing to do every once in a while is just pull out a pad of paper and put Matt Heverly's life and write out what defines your life. What is it that defines you? What are the things that might be read about you on your obituary? What defines you? What are the ingredients? Jesus names three here, food and drink and clothing. That's the three that he names. All materialistic stuff. You could translate those pretty easily to this, to today. Money, because food was about money. Do you have the money to buy the good kind of food? Clothing, how you look. Drink, fun, entertainment, parties. Don't think about those things. Money, jobs, accomplishment, reputation, power, buying stuff. Looks, your clothes, your reputation, how people think about you, your lifestyle, do you have a trophy wife, fitness, do you have abs or an ab? Right? That's what it is. Fun, vacation, parties, entertainment, right? Is that life today? Yes, right? Nothing's changed. Look at what we post, look at what we put out. That's it right there. So Jesus is gonna say this, life is more than the big three. Life is more than money and looks and fun. If you could back up for a moment, like how much worry is connected in your life to the big three? 
money, looks, and having fun. And when we make life about just those three, Jesus is gonna say this to us. He's gonna say, you're aiming too low. You have a higher capacity than that. You're missing the real definition. That's what Jesus is gonna say. You get anxious. You ever get anxious about money? Anxious about getting a degree to get that money? Going to school, doing all this work? Anxious at work about getting a promotion, right? Is he gonna get it? Am I gonna get it? Am I in a battle? Dog eat dog? Like how much anxiety right there? You ever have any anxiety about how you look? You ever get a bad haircut? Charity, just Wednesday night, reminded me of when I got a really bad haircut. I was over in Vanuatu for almost 10 months. And for the last eight months of my time over there, I didn't get my haircut. Just kind of grew out. And uh, I came home. And lest you think I look bad, I'm quoting my wife. Matt looked good. Think Tarzan. Tan. I had abs. Beautiful flowing hair. So I get back and I get invited to talk at Applegate. They had this, this young adult thing. I got invited to talk at it. And I don't know if you remember 99, Applegate was just massive. It was his it, it zenith. So I was like really excited about this opportunity to share there. So I decided that morning, I'm gonna get my hair cut. I got the worst mullet ever. Billy Ray Stupid. Right? I have a picture of myself. He looks good compared to me, I'm telling you. Here's what's crazy. I don't remember what I taught. I don't remember the conversations I had before or after. The one thing that I remember, I look like an idiot. That's it. That's anxiety. You ever have anxiety about entertainment? Fear of missing out. What's everybody else doing? Am I doing it? Why am I left out, right? Because we are an entertainment culture. How is that on our health? You look back just 20 years, different. 100 years, radically different. How is this affecting humanity? I don't think it's good. So I have this, I've shown this graph before. I'll try to explain it to you. This is 10th graders, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. The yellow is, this is decreasing your, it's one of those just weird graphs. These decrease your unhappiness. They make you happier. The blue ones make you unhappy. So 10th graders, any one of us, look it, homework makes you a little bit happier. Sleep, a lot happier. Going to church, a lot happier. Reading a real book, working, a lot happier. What makes you unhappy? If you could circle all six of those things, TV, texting, gaming, social media, internet, what would you call those six? Entertainment. What do they do to you? They increase unhappiness. That's what they do. They make us anxious. We have a society now that is perfectly designed to make us anxious. That's why there's so much anxiety. <laughs> because our society is designed to make us anxious. So if you're with us, when we began this series, Jesus, out of the gate, 
Brilliant sermon. He begins with what we call the Beatitudes, the blessings. And so I said this, imagine that Jesus Christ has his own Instagram account. And he starts posting hashtag blessed. What would Jesus Christ hashtag blessed things be? You don't have to guess. I'll read them again for you. They're so good. They're so radically different than our culture. Listen to these, Matthew chapter five. Beginning in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Those aren't gonna be popular posts. No one's reposting those. No one's liking those, right? Jesus is gonna get 12 followers and one of them will be a troll. That's it because he uses this word, makareos. It was used for the bliss of the gods. It was the state where you're just, ah, awesome. But what he connects them to would be, what? Jesus is saying, this is the recipe for happiness. Being poor, grieving, powerless, hungry, thirsty and getting the snot kicked out of you. Hashtag bless Jesus. So we're a couple months into this sermon. Who here actually believes the Beatitudes? When you put them next to, next to each other, you got Jesus's recipe for happiness and then you've got money and looks and fun. Which one do we believe? Who, who gets to define it, right? The bridge word, therefore, is grabbing all this in there. Therefore, everything I've been talking about, therefore, be anxious for nothing. Do we define life as money and looks and fun? Or do we define life as the Beatitudes? That's the question. The therefore, do we believe Jesus or do we believe Mark Zuckerberg? What's, what's a good life? What leads to a non-anxious life? So here's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to deconstruct the big three, money, looks, and fun. He's gonna deconstruct the big three by using just nature. 
right? So, hey, eating. Jesus says, look at the birds. And then the eternal truth is this, you are way more valuable than a bird. Right? He says, your, they do looks next, drink. Look at your lifespan. Your lifespan is not just 80 years. It's eternal. If, if everything's about fun, look out. And then the last one, what you wear. Jesus says, look at the flowers. Look at Solomon. And don't you trust God? So he deconstructs each one of these things. We got time to just do the first one. Eating. Now, this isn't, a, this isn't necessarily about what's going into your mouth. Eating was something much bigger in this culture. Eating was, how much money do I have? Do I eat barley or do I eat, hey, a fatted calf? That's what money was. Read James chapter five, where he says the rich people fatten their hearts. Read 1 Corinthians 11, where the rich people feasted while the poor people fasted, not because they wanted to, because they didn't have anything to eat. It's about, it's about money. And Jesus is pressing us on this one because here's what you have to get. Anxiety, anxiety has nothing to do with your assets. You won't all of a sudden get somewhere where you have enough and you don't have any anxiety anymore. Do you know that? In fact, science is finding it's inverse. So there's this study that was done. 146,000 people in 26 different countries were uh, researched. And they're looking at what's called generalized anxiety disorder, GAD. And they're trying to figure out like, do poor countries have more anxiety or middle income countries have more anxiety or rich countries have more anxiety? Can you guess which one has more anxiety? So the first comparison they made was this. A mid-level country, so this is your emerging economies. They're doing pretty well. They're not third world. They're not super poor. You're Brazil's. They said, they said this, a mid-level country, a person there would be 75% more likely to suffer from generalized anxiety disorder than someone in a low-income country, just a third world super dirt poor country, a Uganda or something. And then a rich country, High income, America, a high income country, we are 78% more likely to suffer from generalized anxiety disorder than a middle income country. What's that showing? You have, yeah, what's, what's that classic philosopher? Mo money, mo problems. That's what it's showing. Mo money. More problems. So Jesus here says, time out. Let's take a look at nature. Let's look at birds. You ever seen a stressed out chicken? I haven't, right? You giving Xanax to your parrot? Just he needs it, right? You ever seen a really worried bird like, like going gray and losing feathers out of its head and just disheveled? I haven't. Two things you gotta get on this. You gotta get them both if you're gonna look at the birds. Number one, there's a lot of birds. 
You ever sat around just seeing like a flock of birds? There's a lot of birds. You Google it and try to find out and very, very conservative estimates are 50 billion, but most people kind of land on 400 billion birds on planet earth. That's a lot of birds. Probably the same amount as in Jesus' day, 2000 years ago. Lots of birds. Guess what? Every day they eat. Every day the birds eat. That God has designed this beautiful world in such a way that the most insignificant creature, a sparrow, has a meal, has something to eat. This is what Jesus is wanting us to see. Look at the good, beautiful design. It works. The earth works. And I'll say this, and it's gonna keep working until God decides it's not supposed to work. Do you know that? So we can read about the news in Israel and we can start to just freak out. Well, guess what? The world is gonna work like our heavenly father wants the world to work until he says no more and then a better world's coming. That's the Bible. I don't have to try to control that. I don't have to try to freak out about it. I don't have to be anxious about it. Why? Because God's made this thing work and it'll work until he's done with it working. And when it stops working, he's gonna get a better one in. Man, praise God, that sounds like a great deal. Why would I worry about that? I don't. So number one is this, there's a lot of birds and man, they're eating. But number two, you gotta get this. You ever watch a chicken? I do. You ever watch birds? Are they lazy? Do they sit there with their mouth open like, heavenly father, feed me. I'm just waiting, waiting for manna from heaven. You said you're gonna feed me. Have you ever seen a bird do that? And you see birds like getting together and parading together. We need more automatic bird feeders out here. You ever see a bird in the corner with, hey, need food? I haven't. See, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, watch the birds. When the sun's up, they get up singing. They get up looking. They get up participating in the good creation that God has made. They know it's there. The seeds are there, the flowers are there, the insects are there, the worms are there. They get up and they get after it. That God has created a world in which they get to participate and there's food when they participate. God's provided a great world that works. You ever watch a hummingbird? They're unbelievable. The Woodstar hummingbird, they don't flap their wings, you know that? They do a figure eight with their wing. That way they can go forward and backwards in like any way they want. They're just unbelievable. Original drone. The drones were God's idea. It's a hummingbird, right? It does a figure eight 80 times every second. You know how fast that is? Now I try to talk fast. I can't be that fast. The iPhone 15 is not that fast. It'll overheat and die, I'm told, right? That's unbelievable. That's not lazy. Like if you could talk to a hummingbird, you'd say, bro, did you get your reps in today? I got a million in, woo, what are you eating? Pure sugar. How's your health? Brilliant. How good is that? Jesus isn't saying like some progressive liberal idea that, hey, just sit there and God will stuff food in your mouth. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, Look at the birds. There's no more productive animal than a bird. There's no more animal that gets after it than a bird. I have chickens. 
one of the funnest things in the world is opening a chicken coop in the morning. Man, they pile out and they're like, after it, right? They are not lazy. The flock I have right now is too not lazy because they're supposed to be down in the field, but they don't like it in the field. So they end up on my porch and on my outside table and on my patio and on chairs and they leave their fertilizer everywhere. Drives me crazy. And then they eat the cat food. So now my omelet tastes like anchovies. I'm like, yuck. You can ask my kids. I get home from work and the first thing I do is I chase those chickens back into the field. An hour later, they're not lazy. They're right back up there. Jesus, just the most brilliant example I could ever think of. Jesus is saying, you have a caring heavenly father that has designed this brilliant, good system that's so good that birds, 400 billion of them, participate in it. And for 2,000 years, they have been fed. Be anxious for nothing. Like one of my favorite little texts is Genesis 2, where God's talking about the garden and it's beautiful and marriage. And then in the middle of it, he's like, oh, and there was gold and bdellium in the ground. What? Why are we hearing that right now? It's God saying, I've buried all kinds of stuff, humanity, and you get to dick it up and make amazing things out of it. Teslas and iPhones and beautiful glass windows that you can look out of and steal and like, are you kidding? You can dig it up and participate in this thing, this good creation I've made. The Bible full of really, really good theology. How do you get it? Do you just sit there? Do you like lay your head on it? Do you just carry it around? Is that how you get the Bible? No, you gotta do what? Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman, a workwoman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of faith. That's the only way it gets into you. It's participation in this great design that God has made. This is so good. Let me try to land the plane on this idea. Because here's what I think, big picture, if you back up for a second and you look at this sermon and you look at the, the way that Jesus weaves things back and forth, here's what you see. I'll state it and then I'll defend it. Here's what I think you see. You and I, we have a good heavenly father and we live in a broken world. Good God, broken world. And there's contrasts. If you watch it carefully, there's these contrasts. Chapter five, Jesus begins, tension getter. Hey, blessed, good God. Chapter six, anxiety, broken world. Even in this little text that I read, it goes back and forth between them right? It's verse 26. The father's going to feed the birds. Good God. And you're going to die, verse 27. Broken world. Verse 30, God cares for you. Good God. But we have little faith. Broken world. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Good God. Verse 34, and there's trouble for you today, broken world. It goes back and forth, good God, broken world. And that's what the Bible does all the time. Good God, broken world. 
mountains and valleys, good times, bad times, joys and sorrows. Read Ecclesiastes chapter three. One of the best just poems that just tells you this is the way the world is. There's a time to be born. Hey, good. There's a time to die. Bummer. There's a time to find stuff. Awesome, I lost it. I found 20 bucks in my wallet. There's a time to lose stuff. I lost another 20 bucks. There's a time to sow and a time to reap, a time of war and a time of peace, a time to break down, a time to build up. It just goes back and forth. But verse 11 is the key. And God makes everything beautiful in his time. That the recipe, the real way to look at life, not just narrowed down to what am I eating and what am I drinking and how do I look? The real recipe for life, if you look at it, God uses all these ingredients to make his people beautiful in this time. The best illustration I ever saw of this was Philip Yancey. He gives this illustration about cake. Like I love angel food cake. With a name like that, it has to be good for you. It's divine and heavenly. He says, here's the thing about cake. No one sits down and eats individual ingredients. Anyone here like just grabbing a cup full of flour, like, ah, oh, yum. You know, gains, carbs, doing it, bro. Sugar, anyone just eating raw sugar? I hope not. Unless you're a hummingbird, no, right? How about baking soda? Just a spoonful of baking soda. You drinking a little, little vanilla extract? Oh, I love just vanilla extract. Can't get enough of it. Anyone? No. How about a spoonful of cinnamon? Unless it's a TikTok challenge, you're not doing that either. How about raw eggs? Unless you're Sylvester Stallone, probably not doing raw eggs. But while those things, like sugar's yummy, baking soda, e, but you take each one of those in just the right amount and you mix them together with a master chef and then he puts them in heat, tribulation, hot times, and it becomes beautiful in its time. This is what Jesus is saying. If you have this limited view of life where it's just down to this little thing and you've decided that life is just these three things. It's what I make, it's how much money I have, it's how I look, and it's making sure that I have a lot of fun. Look out. Because that definition will not handle the real world you live in. Because what's gonna happen when you're poor, when the money's tight? What's gonna happen when things are difficult? What's gonna happen when you do get that lump, when it is malignant? What's gonna happen then? That you better have a bigger view of life than what you eat and what you drink and what you put on. That's what he's saying. And we get stressed out and anxious when we limit our life to this very small definition. That's what happens to us. Instead of seeing the broad picture of God uses each one of these ingredients in my life to make me beautiful for eternity. Okay, okay, I can handle it. Good God, broken world. So Jesus says, don't be anxious. Look at the birds. They have a good God, even though they live in a broken world that he has designed the world in such a brilliant way that 4 billion birds, 400 billion birds have eaten and had meals for 2,000 years. That's his care. And then he says this, verse 26, you are of infinite more value than a bird. Do you know that? You 
are of infinite more value to God than a bird? Do you trust his cooking skills? Do you trust him? God, you know the thermostat, you know the time, you know how to make me beautiful in your perfect time. And I trust you. I trust you. That there's no better example of good God than a good God leaving his place of comfort and perfection and coming down here to heal our brokenness and to bring peace into the storm and to say, hey, I'm gonna navigate a course for you that if you become my disciples and you follow me, you can live a quality of life that leads to no anxiety. And will you trust me? How good is this? Do we trust Jesus? I hope so and we get to go to the table. There's no better example to me when you go to the table of good God, broken world. Jesus says this, there's no greater love than a man has for his brother than he laid down his life for him. The proof that you are of more value than the birds is the cross. Jesus did not die for a chicken. He died for humans, image bearers, because he loves us that much. But there's no better example of the brokenness of this world that God himself has to die, not because of some evil out there somewhere, wherever you want to point at it, Israel or Portland or wherever it is. No, because of the evil right here. Jesus had to die for my evil. Broken world.